Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Yeah, I know. It's always weird revisiting planets from the TOS era. TOS? It's what I call the 2260s. Stands for those old scientists. You know, Spock, Scotty, those guys. Seems like they were stumbling on crazy new aliens every week back then. Well, here we are, folks. It's been a long road getting from there to here. (laughs) Sorry, sorry, I had to. We are talking about the final episode of season one of Star Trek Lower Decks, No Small Parts. And speaking of no small parts, we've got three of us in here today to talk about the episode. First of all, my partner in crime on all of these episodes of Positively Trek, Bruce Gibson. Bruce, how's it going today? I'm doing well. What an introduction. Speaking of no small parts, here's Bruce. (laughs) Like, thank you. (laughs) I enjoy that compliment. Um... (laughs) It's great to be here. Take that however you will. I, I Yeah. Hmm. <laughs> I want to thank all of you for introducing me and all the Trekkies out there and the Trekkers or the Star Trek fans, whatever they want to be called. It's great to be here. Well, also joining us is a very special guest, someone I've wanted to have on the show for a while. A YouTuber, someone who I greatly admire. She makes amazing videos and I truly enjoy them and I hope you all do too. We have as a guest on the show, Jesse Gender. Jesse. Thank you so much for joining us. I am so glad to be here. And I, I got to say, for me, the fact that you introduced this episode with a Star Trek Enterprise quote, or a Riker quote, <laughs> I guess, at this point, um, makes me very, 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 very pleased. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, the, and I mean, you know, lifted straight from the episode we're going to be talking about, of course, like you said, a Riker quote. I love that that is now a canon phrase in the Star Trek universe referring to Enterprise specifically. <laughs> I'm I'm going to uh, make the assumption now that the tambourine that's played in the Star Trek Enterprise season three and four theme song is just Riker just hitting the tambourine every single time. <laughs> I love it. He's having a little jazz. That's my canon. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's my canon now. <laughs> yeah, Troy just in the background going, oh... The jazz. Troy saying, exit holodeck, please. <laughs> Let me out. <laughs> that's, oh, and man. that's the day the holodeck screws up and they can't leave. It's just that theme song over and over and over again. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, that's brutal. Right when, you know, Archer's about to give his iconic speech, you know, then it switches and they play the theme song instead. And we never get to hear it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. See, that's that's our lower decks pitch right there. We just made our own episode. <laughs> I love it. Well, that's the thing with this show in general, and I think this episode in particular is the meta humor was just dialed up to 11. So we start out the episode with the crew visiting Beta 3, which you might remember from the return of the Archons. We've got the planet that was worshipping Landru. They're back worshipping Landru, and, you know, they've got to talk them out of it again and threaten Landru with a with a destructive paradox like Kirk did and to get them back on the straight and narrow. And then we've got Ransom referring to this period as the TOS era. 
I love it. Didn't that freak you out <laughs> at first, though? When you heard that, you're like, whoa, 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 whoa. Like, I was just like, wait, TOS? How can you say that in-universe? They're not going to refer to that area as the original series. Yeah, they've, d- they've done that a few times where I'm just like, wait, is that, how can they even be referencing that within the actual show itself? Wait, oh, no. <laughs> But I love yeah. it's those old scientists. That's such a wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> That's so great. Yeah, like yeah, like Spock and Scotty and those guys, those old scientists. That's great. <laughs> yeah, every time I write TOS now, and I think somebody said this last night as well. That's going to be in my mind. Like I'm not saying the original series. I'm saying those old scientists. <laughs> exactly. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I I adore that. And I I also have to say, going back to to Landrew, I love the like do not obey sign and the like Starfleet yes. ticker tape around Landrew. Yes. <laughs> yes. I know. I love that little um, sign. I made a note of that. Yeah. Do not obey. And then of course the animated series image that we saw too. Yeah, that was brilliant. That was something I'd been hoping for. Like I was early on in the series thinking like, oh, they need to either communicate through time or be reviewing some sort of record tape of the original series, but it's the animated uh, versions of them. And sure enough, we get that photo of them in front of Landru, but it's the animated series style. That was beautiful. Exactly. And And I like that technically it's also they're referencing a live action episode of the original series so it like subtly connects like oh this is just how they look in animated form regardless of like live action or not so weirdly like canonizing tangentially the animated series which i which has already been kind of canonized by the show in general with all the references but it was just a nice little subtle subtle thing that i i deeply enjoyed yeah it's interesting because when i saw that i thought about it later i was like do you could we possibly see them do that with a live action image on something in Lower Decks? I wonder if they will cross that line at some point. Oh, that would be fun. Just like show a scene that we've already seen from any of the shows and it's just like actually just an animated thing. (laughs) (laughs) Well, in Landrew, the computer, I thought, you know, when I see that episode of TOS, I mean, those computers really look dated, but it didn't look as dated to me in animated form. (laughs) Yeah, the thing, the only thing I thought about that was like, it looks smaller in animated form. I'm like, oh, but it also might be my kid memory because I'm like, oh, it's so huge because I just have that memory of that episode from when I was a little kid watching it. Um, and so I'm like, oh, Landrew is a little bit smaller than I remember. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, he would probably say, uh, you know, oh, I don't know. He'd, he'd make some excuse. Yeah, he'd say, <laughs> oh, baby. Because I, <laughs> <I'm>... <laughs> I may look smaller, but no small parts here. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So going back to what you're saying about seeing like live action versus animated version, what I want to see in like Star Trek Picard or some other live action series is them like researching Federation or Starfleet rules or something and coming across the Boimler effect. <laughs> and it's Jack Quaid in a uniform pictured there. I think that would be perfect. Hair dyed a little purple or something. Exactly. I actually was thinking about this the other day where it's like, if we ever get like a Picard episode or like a movie or something, you just like have a couple ensigns in the background and it just happens to be, you know, Jack Quaid and um, I'm blanking on the actress who plays Mariner's name for some reason. Uh, uh, Tawny Newsom. Tawny Newsom. Thank you. Because uh, they both look like their parts. And so just have them playing Boimler and Mariner just in the background of a scene. <laughs> would be absolutely oh that would be great yeah (laughs) when we come back from the opening credits this is this this next scene 
is surprisingly heavy for Lower Decks because we get the return of Captain Dayton after losing the Rubido. She's now in command of the USS Solvang and they are they come under attack from these alien marauders and we don't know who they are yet, but uh, you know, they clamp onto the warp engine and Dayton orders them to go to warp and the ship is completely and utterly destroyed in the blink of an eye. And you know, I didn't realize this, but reading other people's comments, the, this is the first, these are the first deaths we ever see on lower decks outside of, you know, over the top holographic fake deaths in the last episode or badgie, <laughs> which apparently was not actually a death. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. But uh, this is a pretty big tonal shift for the show, I think. And I was not expecting it. Uh, this complete, you know, we lose an entire ship full of people and then pop over to the Cerritos and it's like, they have no idea. What did you guys think of that? I, I don't, I don't know how I feel about it exactly, but it feels very different from what we've seen before. I mean, my thought on it was I, in and of itself, I think it's actually kind of cool. Like I like this idea of the ship grabbing warp nacelles and then, um, the ship trying to go to warp and it blowing it up. I'm sure some one of those old scientists could probably explain to me why the physics of that doesn't work at all in space. <laughs> but I thought it was a kind of a cool uh, conceit. But I hear you. Totally, it did feel weird. And the other thing, too, that I noticed rewatching the episode last night is that typically when we come back from the, the theme song, it'll have the credits start playing. And you could see it'll say like the title of the episode right after that. But that doesn't happen until after that scene's over. And then we get mm -hmm. to like the first peanut hamper scene. Um, and that's when the credits start rolling. And so it kind of weirdly read to me, and I and I almost wish they had done this, but I don't know how you edit it that way, that this scene should have been the scene that happens before the credits. So there's like a tonal separation. Then we come in and start the episode proper. But I also understand the impetus to want to be like, oh, this Landrew thing kind of starting off the episode as well, because it's also kind of separate. So it just weirdly feels like these two kind of tonally different scenes uh, should have been before the credits, before we cut in. That 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 would have been the one shift I would make. You could even have cut from like Boimler going ah at, at the captain learning, <laughs> learning uh, him doing stuff to this new ship, um, and that might have like helped separate it a little bit more like cognitively. But yeah, I can see where this scene would play really well at the opening, but I think they went with the Landrew thing because, which we haven't talked about, was then the big reveal where Boimler spoils to the rest of the crew or reveals that Mariner is the captain's daughter. And so what a great way to start the episode and then go into the theme music with that teaser, you know, but yeah, exactly. but you know, it's kind of light when you get to that, you know, it's kind of funny, like, oh my gosh, the crew found out. And then you come to this and this destruction happens to the ship. And my thought was, because I didn't even think about how we haven't seen anybody die in this series yet. I wasn't thinking of that at the moment, but this did seem kind of, you know, really violent in, in deaths and all this stuff happening, destroying a ship. My thought was they didn't really destroy the ship. The crew's probably somewhere. There's probably some out on this. Cause I thought that that just for some reason thought they weren't going to go there, but they did. They stuck to that. There's an element of it that I like because it, it, and I think I talked about this in my, my review of it, um, was that I enjoy the fact that it's still treating this show with weight and stuff that happens later on in the episode, like with shacks and things like that. It shows that while this show is much more tonally fun and, and upbeat and, and enjoyable, um, which I really like, it also is still taking place in the Star Trek universe we know and love and people die and crazy things happen. And so I, I, I 
I understand that it, it feels totally weird, and so I do have like a push and pull with it in my brain. But I also do like that it's saying like, no, the things on lower deck, lower decks count, as opposed to like it just being this frivolous like, oh, it's just a fun show. It's like, no, this actually does count. There is meaning and weight to this. And the characters that you've come to know and love are real people mm-hmm. within the universe of Star yeah, Trek. Yeah, this is Star Trek. If this can happen in a Star Trek series, why not in this Star Trek series? It's still Star Trek. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Absolutely. It, it's a little unfortunate. I feel like in a half an hour show, maybe it doesn't quite get the attention that it needs, really. But again, it's one of those things that I don't really know how they could have done it differently to have an episode with stakes like they do here. But they just don't have the time, I think, to deal with it the way another Star Trek show would, which is a little unfortunate. But at the same time, what little they do do is definitely admirable. Did I you think, just say so. do do? Dan said do do. <laughs> <laughs> we're mature <laughs> oh man we are so mature on this podcast absolutely so i do have a question for you guys okay because the Solvang ship has its registry number as one two one oh one one two one oh one and when we started watching this series we were speculating with a registry number, Sarita, 75567. We're like, is there some kind of meaning? Or like, why they pick those numbers? And it's like, well, it just makes sense in the sequence of registry numbers at this time, but not this 12101. Do we have any speculation or thought as to why they gave this ship that registry number, especially since they present it as a brand new ship that you're still pulling plastic off of the view screens? Yeah. I didn't even think about that. Is is there? I can't think of anything specific because I do remember like back in the day you'd have like Judith and Garfield Reed Stevens being the ones who would like keep track of stuff like that. But I can't even think of it why it would be that number now. It is something that I noticed. I was like, oh, it's a low number. This must be she's given been given command of an older ship. But then we get onto the bridge, and yeah, like you said, she's peeling the plastic off of the little control panels and making people not wear boots on the bridge because she doesn't want to scuff up the brand new carpet so the only the only thought i could even think about is like an out of universe joke or an in universe sort of thing where we do know that way back in the next generation series they made a bunch of ships by just bashing kits together of like oh yeah take this part from this thing and this part from this thing and there's a new new class of ship so it's just like a thing of like oh what if they just grabbed uh i know it was animation but they were just referencing the fact that maybe they just grabbed a saucer section from something random and and shoved it on there yeah and so it had the wrong numbers or something yeah it could totally be random but i yeah i just really want to know maybe it's not maybe there's something yeah something out of universe that they put that in there like maybe it's somebody's birthday on the show i don't know i i did like that uh there was an interview with mike mcmahon or something where he talked about how like a lot of the background actors are just the animators putting themselves into the show so maybe it oh, is like <laughs> yeah so it's like maybe one of, one of the numbers is a reference to someone's birthday or a specific thing for for someone personally on the show's production crew which would be kind of kind of sweet and nice and what i would do too i'd put little like references like put my birthday as something canonical yeah <laughs> oh totally yeah, absolutely yeah so one thing that i think this show really does very well with regards to the tone is the cerritos picks up the distress call a partial distress call from the solvang and we know why it's a partial distress distress call but they think it's not a big deal they make jokes like oh she's still working out the control panels of her new ship we'll go check in on her there's nothing crazy in that sector and they take off and warp now i'm a huge fan of dramatic irony where 
the audience knows something that the people on screen or in whatever you're reading don't know. And the tension of them just blithely going into the situation without any cares in the world. And we, as the audience going, Oh no, I really like that. And I thought that worked really well here with the music and, and all that stuff as they're getting closer, the music gets more tense and all that kind of stuff. I think they did really well with that. Yeah. And I love that they warp into the debris field too. Very, in fact, my, um, my friend who I watched my second rewatch of the show through who she isn't a huge Trek fan. But even she was like, oh my gosh, that's like the J.J. Abrams Kelvin films. <laughs> Great. <laughs> totally. Yeah. Yeah, I was like, you got the reference. I'm so proud of you. I didn't have to spend like the last 30 minutes of the episode explaining them all to you. <laughs> You've graduated. <laughs> I'm so proud. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. Uh, and meanwhile, while they're warping to their, you know, rendezvous with the, the pack lids that we'll get later, uh, we get this situation on board with uh, Mariner, of course, Everyone's found out her relationship to the captain and people are treating her differently. And at the same time, there's this promotion to the Sacramento that's come up and Boimler applies for it, as we learn he does for all of these promotions and just never gets noticed. But Mariner decides to apply as well and become kind of the model officer. And uh, in an in an interesting scene, and, and it kind of comes later in the episode, but we learn why Boimler is so opposed to her applying for this is because he doesn't want her to be promoted and leave him all alone and uh, he would miss her. And I thought that was a really sweet scene, which gets turned on its ear later in the episode with some of the actions that Boimler takes, but we'll get there. The uh, This whole, you know, changing of the relationship, changing of Mariner's status on the Cerritos, I think my favorite has to be the lieutenant uh, who's the conspiracy theorist who believes that Wolf 359 was an inside job and the Dominion War didn't happen. Change <laughs> yeah. um, never existed, Dominion War didn't happen. <laughs> How can you serve in Starfleet and think that way, you know? <laughs> oh, I well, love it. I know. And it's like one of those like, oh, a little bit too real, a little bit too real. A yeah. <laughs> little bit. <laughs> but yeah, I love I love that they sort of got to switch their relationships because it just showed uh how far we've come with both of these characters. Like I, I even talked about this before too, but I've just been so unexpectedly pleased with how this show has given me characters that I've really come to like love and seen them grow and change just over the course of 10 episodes like the very fact that we were able to see them like switch roles and have changed places but it feel kind of natural even amongst the joke of it was just super sweet and even within it like they were referencing their own past selves like uh when, i love when um, mariner starts changing into her um like i'm gonna be a good ensign self um, she starts doing the like power walk that Boimler was doing in the second episode. So it's just like <laughs> yes. little subtle references to, to how they've changed, which is just so nice. I love that almost every single thing in this episode is a callback to a previous episode. It's like they set up, you know, 40 different Chekhov's guns and had them all go off in this episode. The power walking, like you m mentioned, and even uh, I even predicted that in this season finale, uh, Mariner would unroll her sleeves. And sure enough, that happened after we got that called out by Ransom in an earlier episode. Yeah. And even like um, later on when they're defending the ship from the packlights and fighting in the corridor, all this stuff she pulls out from the walls 
is stuff that was in the box that she had in the very first scene of the very first episode that she was hiding. And I'm just like, mm-hmm. oh my gosh, you've like, that was the longest held Chekhov's uh, weird weapons contraband. Yes. <laughs> Thank you, Riker, for supplying those too. <laughs> yep, exactly, exactly. <laughs> yeah, so that scene where uh, she's like, hey, yo, maybe I should apply for the promotion or transfer to the Sacramento and and you know Boimler's like I don't want you to go because you know you're like my best friend and I'll, I'll miss you and she's like no oh, it's so sweet but you know she is also like playing that up like I'm gonna follow the rules and I'm gonna do what you do Boimler and so why are you criticizing me for doing something that you've always done and she also makes the comment when she's calling him sir she goes well you aren't rank rank me so I call you sir but how they're both ensigns like was she just saying that or is, does he have some rank over her I assumed it was seniority because she doesn't say that he outranks her. She says, you are technically uh, my superior. You're technically, I should technically call you sir or something like that. So I just assumed it was seniority, like as far as how long they'd been on the ship. Yeah, I think we, like in the first episode, we see that he's, uh, Boimler is taking care of Tendi and he's the one that like has to show her around and stuff. So my bet is he has like some sort of like nominal authority amongst their team. Like maybe he's technically team leader like they're what a shift or whatever so maybe he's like the highest like team leader ensign on on b shift or whatever they beta shift i think that's what there are um mm-hmm. so m- maybe there's that reason as well also we know that technically mariner i think it says even in this episode she's the most demerited officer yes. in in all of starfleet so it could be also that she just had so many demerits that she's like always going to be lowest rung on the totem pole, no matter no matter what a group she's in. Yeah, that could very well be. I'm I'm wondering. I don't know how it would work. I have no idea of like military ranks or anything like that. But also the fact that she was recently promoted and demoted. I wonder if that would have something to do with. I don't know. I honestly don't know how that would work though. You're asking the wrong person to know anything about the military. <laughs> yeah, same, same here. here. <laughs> Although my roommate in college was in the military. That's the closest I've gotten. I have a lot of friends that have gone into the military, so definitely no no judgment on anyone serving in the military. But I'm just like, oh, that looks like being tough and scary. I can't do that. <laughs> Absolutely, I feel the same way. Yeah. My roommate and my, my and we were in the dorm, and you know he made me make my bed every morning. So <laughs> wow. Oh, so you you kind of had like a nog Jake thing going we on. We did there. in a way. Yes. <laughs> I just watched that, just watched that episode too. <laughs> <laughs> the funny thing about this real quick is that we then we after that one year in the dorm we moved on to an apartment together and we became you know really good friends and so and the three year period at the end of that when we were leaving college we made the comment that I became more like him and he became more like me. He started to get a little more messy and I was like the one making his bed. Nice. And and see, that's what good friendship does. And I think to bring it back to Lower Decks, that's kind of what's happening with Boimler and Mariner as well. So, you know, they're definitely influence, influencing each other. And all, even though Boimler really appreciates Billups' hand pies and Mariner doesn't, they're still a lot closer than they were. What are hand pies? I they I've had a couple of those before. There was like a market here in the in the before times, uh, like food market. <laughs> I would stop at uh, that would make hand pies like that, and they're just like delicious, like basically pockets of meat. Think think like um, a calzone, but less pizza y, and it could be filled with meat and things like that. That sounds good. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna get one. It's like a hot pocket. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it's like a differently shaped hot pocket actually. That's and and probably made with much more love than than, than <laughs> hot pockets are. Excellent. Well, okay, so we get as we've talked about uh the Cerritos comes out of warp in the middle of the debris field. They realize it's the Solvang and the Paclids quickly reveal themselves. 
saying like, we have you now, Enterprise. Oh, man. Oh, the Packlids. I thought they were a joke. Yeah. <laughs> I literally turned to my roommate when I was watching the episode. I'm like, the Packlids? The, the Packlids are the ones that you're bringing here. I, I adored it. It, it like, made a weird amount of sense. But I was also like, of all the people that you could bring in, the Packlids. It's just wonderful. <laughs> yes, we've been demanding this for years. <laughs> yeah. I wanted to follow up on the Packlids, dang it. Yeah, the whole bring back the Packlids movement online. Yeah, followed that for years. But isn't that kind of part of the point, too? Like, they make a point at the end of the episode to kind of tie that in. It's like no one thought or cared to check in on the Packlids or Landru or anything like that because no one seemed to to care at all. And that's something that Starfleet should be checking up on. And so the very fact that it has this like meta joke to it too of the fans being like, who cares about the Packleds? Being like, well, you should <laughs> because they're out there still doing stuff and making their huge, crazy, <laughs> intense ships. Yeah. Each week we tend to uh, try to come up with a, a an overarching theme and, and stuff for the episode or something it's trying to say. And I absolutely think this week... That is the core of what this episode is trying to say. They kind of outright spell it out too, but it's, you know, this policy of Starfleet's sometimes interference is really kicking their butts because they're not checking in, as Ransom calls them, these legacy civilizations like the Batons and, you know, making sure that things are going as as planned. You can't trust that a generation later, everything's going to be hunky-dory like Mariner says. And the Packlids, like you say, and I would even put in uh, Ensign Peanut Hamper, the Exocomp, in that as well, because there are consequences to Data's uh, representation of them as uh, sentient beings. They get to make their own choices. And in this case, Ensign Peanut Hamper makes her own choice and refuses to go on this dangerous suicide mission to deliver a virus to the Packlid ship that has them captured. And, you know... It's it's for laughs and all that kind of stuff. But I think, you know, you can draw a direct line from that to the episode, The Quality of Life, where the Packlids were given a choice, or sorry, excuse me, the Exocomps <laughs> were given a choice. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of like a, um, a commentary on the very concept of Star Trek, which is to seek out new life and new civilizations. That's the phrase that we get into every single like original series and next generation with, which is like, oh, we want to go see something new. We want to go explore something new. But that, if you're always constantly looking for something new, you sometimes forget to check in on, on like just checking in and seeing what's going on with things that you've been to previously, or checking in with yourself as a person, um, and and seeing where you've been and kind of and like we've seen in this episode, you could even kind of make that reference. Like this episode was all about paying off stuff of where we've been throughout the season, and so I like that the show is like, no, you have to reference where you've come from in order to understand where you're going, and if you don't do that work. Um, you're going to to miss some important things, and so I did. I, I like it's uh, sort of fits into the themes of the characters, fits into the themes of the world, and is also like a kind of larger critique on Star Trek's own um, idea of going to new civilizations. Right, uh, right at the top. Yeah, because isn't it uh, Captain Freeman says we're good at observing but bad at maintaining? Mm-hmm. And it's like you know, I'm just thinking as you're talking, Jesse, about you know Khan. I mean, that's the whole thing about the Wrath of Khan. They they yeah. They let them go, and then no one ever checks on them. And, you know, this disaster happens, and 
their planet is, you know, practically destroyed into just being desert and, and no one's coming to check and making sure they're okay. And that's why Khan wants to have his revenge. And yeah, and, and that whole comment from Freeman saying that we're good at observing but not maintaining, I kind of also looked at that as somewhat of a a way of saying about her relationship with her daughter. You know, she's been yeah. good at observing her on the ship, but really not maintaining a relationship, a mother-daughter relationship, and they and they need to work on that. So you can't go into things and seek out new life and civilization without actually doing the next step, and that is cultivating that and maintaining that discovery. Yeah, I didn't even... I didn't even make that um, connection to the mother-daughter relationship. That's just, ah, uh, it's so brilliant. I love it. I love the show so much. <laughs> <laughs> there really are layers and, and, and multitudes that they explore that I think, you know, they don't get enough credit for, for mm-hmm. sure. Mm-hmm. Well, so we've got the Pacleds. Uh, they've captured the Cerritos. Captain Freeman doesn't make the same mistake that Captain Dayton does, uh, but they have to figure out a way. Like we said, they they have this virus uh, that Badgie has created. So we get the return of Badgie as well. Uh, and I will note that when Badgie says to Rutherford, you have to turn the safety protocols off, Rutherford says, well, you're not going to try and kill me again, are you? And his answer is, I'm Badgie. That's all he says. <laughs> like, oh, Rutherford, this is not a good idea. Just the way you said that, make you thought of it like, here's Chucky or something. <laughs> yeah. Ugh. Uh, I also love that subtle animation. I mean, it's obvious, but also weirdly subtle where like when he does turn off the safety protocols, Badgie lifts up and he gets like the shadow over his eyes. And I like that in the universe it's played as just a shadow, but it's clearly obvious that like, oh, he's he's gone full evil. It's just a nice little animation note that I'm like, oh, I love it. Definitely, yeah. So this virus, he immediately has viruses ready because apparently he's always monitoring comms. Mm-hmm. Uh, gives it to Rutherford. Peanut Hamper won't take it and nopes right out of there. And uh, so it's up to Rutherford to deliver this virus and Shax takes him on, again, another Chekhov's gun that's been set up all season, this little shuttlecraft they've been working on in their little cargo hold, the Sequoia, uh, blasts over to the the Packled ship. And we find out, of course, Badgie is not going to finish uploading the virus until Rutherford is dead. So this is, this is his end game. <laughs> it's so sad. I mean, I hate it because I want to like Badgie, but Badgie's evil. <laughs> I don't like Badgie. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's why we love and hate Badgie at the same time. He's he, we love him because he's so awful. <laughs> exactly. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, uh, Badgie sets the auto destruct, and we get the scene where Shax, you know, rips the implant off of uh, Rutherford, leaves that attached, shoves Rutherford into the shuttlecraft, and launches that out the uh, hull breach remaining on board smiling and grinning and fighting off Packled. so he's doing what he loves but of course the Packled ship is destroyed and yeah even on the way over he said this is the best day of my life i mean it was just like this is his moment and yes if he's gonna die in it that's okay because this is the best this is the way to go out I love how he called Rutherford baby bear as he was pushing yes. out. It was just so, I was like, oh, <laughs> yeah. oh, don't make me cry, show. <laughs> oh, I love it. Well, let's let's talk about Chax for a little bit then, because this is a character who, like, every scene he's in, I just absolutely love. Like, 
I, I think the first time I was like, oh, I really like this guy is he, when he runs in on Boimler's concert and smashes up his violin. Captain says you're being too loud. Oh, God, I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. <laughs> <laughs> and then like every scene he's been in since then, I just love the guy. Yeah. And uh, it's really sad. Yeah. I, I just as a testament to the writing on this show that it's like this is a te- like he is a background character in a 30 minute show that has only had 10 episodes. And yet he's given so many small kernels of characterization, even outside of his whole, like, I want to blow things up. Like, we get his relationship with Ta'ana. We get the fact that he's very caring about, like, his little bears and his bear pack, things like that. And so when you see him go, I was I was actually really choke, choking up at his at his death there. And I'm like, the very fact that you were made me care for this, like, kind of background character who's only been in 10 episodes of a 30-minute show, and you get me choked up at his death, just... Uh, I was, it was just so hard to watch. And I just, it's such a testament to the writing of the show and how well written these characters are and how much I've come to just love them in such a short time. Yeah, I was surprised because I thought it's the same thing earlier about the ship. It's like, I was like, wait, is he really dead? Are they going to say like, oh, he beamed out in time or something, but they kept with it, which I really appreciate because I don't like taking little shortcuts like that, you know, and it's bad that I start thinking like that because we've seen things so many, not just in Star Trek, but in anything where you think somebody's dead and they're not really dead, you know, and I was like, okay, here we go again. And I'm thinking, man, he's probably not really dead, but I think he is unless they pull him out (laughs) in season two, but I don't think they will. But I, I'm, you know, thank you, writers, producers, whatever, for having the balls to do that. I mean, I don't want to see his character dead. I wanted to see more of his characters. Things went on, but the fact that we, you know, this stuff happens and death happens, and it took me back to T, uh, to T and G, with uh, Tasha Yar because she was the security officer and died in the first season. And I thought maybe that was kind of the reason they did it as a call out to her, too. I'm kind of glad you said that because that was my thought. I was thinking like Tasha Yar dies towards the end of season one of TNG. We've got Chax dying at the end of season one of Lower Decks. So my prediction in the next couple of seasons, we see Shaxx, half Romulan, half Bajoran's son show up through some time travel shenanigans. <laughs> yes. The thing is, that is so not even outside the question. Like, that could totally happen in Lower Decks. Absolutely. <laughs> I to- in fact I I would I would put place a bet on it that we like I'm sh- I I hope they never bring bra- back Shax proper like Shax is dead and gone and maybe we'll see him like as a hologram or something here and there but he's just actually dead but I could totally see them bringing back like a, a version of the character or that actor doing like some alt version of Shax like CeeLo was in uh in TNG. Yes. That would be excellent. That would be, that'd be a lot of fun. <laughs> but I'm also curious to know what well, who's going to be the security officer next season. Maybe maybe Boimler actually at some point could be hmm, maybe yeah and and we'll talk about that a little bit about what's happening next season because we we have some some things to discuss and and they actually relate to a bit of what happens next because you know they destroy the ship things look good but then three more of these super packled ships come out of warp uh, but a fourth ship is also approaching. And of course, this is the moment where I am making noises that I didn't think I was capable of making. (laughs) So excited by this. The USS Titan, you know, Boimler is almost as excited as I was when he's, it's the Titan pointing at the screen and Riker's ship comes out of warp and Riker having learned his lesson 
with regards to the Packleds and Samaritan Snare. That whole episode was his fault. I will die on that hill. <laughs> He's learned his lesson, though. He's not pulling any punches with the Packleds this time. Sweep swoops in, saves the Cerritos, and we get, of course, Jonathan Frakes returning as Will Riker and Marina Sirtis as Deanna Troy in just a beautiful sequence. Yeah, I... Uh... I was so excited and happy with this moment. I was with you, like, even on the second watch that I was doing it last night with my friend, I was just going, ah, it's Titan, it's Titan. <laughs> and I, like, had to, uh, the whole time I was just squealing and so happy, and I had to explain to her afterwards, like, the very first thing that got me into Star Trek, like, way back when I was a kid, was the Star Trek Nemesis audiobook, which is the weirdest place oh, to wow. start. Yeah, that's what got me into Trek. Um, that's a long story, but that's where I started. So the very first thing that ever got me into Star Trek was something that teased the Titan. And so finally, this is like a weird completion of that journey. It's been a long road getting from there to here, but <laughs> it was so exciting to be like, oh my gosh, it's actually the Titan. I was I was just over the moon to finally see that in the show. Yeah. Well, Dan knows this. I was spoiled on it, but... Oh, that makes me so mad. So, well, okay, because you know, the episodes come out in the morning, you know, and it, and I, I had to get to work. I had a lot going on that day, and I was like, I'm not going to have time to watch it this morning, and, I, and I've and i got all this work. I, I, I want to be in the right mind, so I'll watch Lower Decks at lunchtime, and so when I got to the point where I was going to have lunch, I was like, oh my gosh, they're starting the New York Comic Con thing now. I'll tune into that. I'll watch Lower Decks later tonight on my big TV when I'm relaxed or whatever, and I tune in a few minutes late. And they're talking about Boimler joining the Titan and all that. I was like, wait, oh, what? No. <laughs> I, I was surprised because I did not expect them to be talking about an episode that just came out that morning because, you know, I, I'm on the East Coast, so it was at noon. But, you know, on the West Coast, it's 9 a.m. And I'm like, most people on the West Coast haven't probably watched that episode of Lord Dex and maybe tuning into the, the panel. But it didn't bother me. As soon as I saw it, I was like, okay, I'm turning off. I am watching Lower Dex now. They didn't say the Titan was shown, but now I'm suspecting maybe we'll see the Titan. But when I saw the Titan, I was like, okay, being, you know, the big novel reader that I am, and I know that Titan has been done by Eagle Moss, and I think has also been on Star Trek Online, I had to quickly go online and go, wait. Does this Titan look just like it? Look, Dan's got the model right there. <laughs> yep. <laughs> and I'm comparing the registry number, everything. I'm like, yep, that's it. I literally, as soon as the episode finished, my roommate and I were talking. And he's a big Trekkie, but he's not a big Trekkie book fan. So I have my wall of books in our living room of all my Star Trek books, yeah. which is like takes up three bookshelves. It. It's a problem, I'm sure, as I'm sure you two both have a similar <laughs> collection. And I literally was like, wait, is this the same ship? And I pulled off like all my Titan uh, books that I have. And I was like going, it's like, look, look, is this the same ship? Do you agree? Yep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And same registry number, NCC 80102. Yeah. Like it just they all the details beautifully done the one thing i would say is christine vale is not the first officer I know. by the looks of it or she at least wasn't on the bridge that's the my time, head cannon which... she wasn't she's on another assignment or something yeah and i also was just <laughs> like well the way the the way the the shots of the titan were were framed at the beginning i'm like wait is tuvok on there is tuvok <laughs> oh, 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 there somewhere yeah. is he just is he just uh, is he just off camera or maybe he'll be in uh, season two of just like Tuvok. Tuvok has to be there. Get Tim Russ back. <laughs> oh, I would love that. I would freak out if they did that for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, the first officer, I don't know. Like, why didn't they just, it was just somebody sitting there. They could have done somebody who looks like Christine Vale just for us. You know, first book fans. Come on. Come on, people. But 
she's somewhere else on the ship or doing some other assignment. That's what's happening. Yeah, she's leading an elite team into Romulan space or something, exactly. as usual, yeah. as first officers do. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, it was wonderful to see the Titan, of course, to see Riker and Troy. And I've brought this up elsewhere. It, it's a small thing, but something I really, truly appreciated throughout, you know, Star Trek The Next Generation, when you see the opening credits, it's, you know, Patrick Stewart is Captain Jean-Luc Picard, Jonathan Frakes is Commander William Riker, Lieutenant Commander Data, Lieutenant Commander Jordi LaForge. It was always Counselor Deanna Troy and Dr. Beverly Crusher. Okay, you know, we're not giving them their ranks, just their their titles because they're different, whatever. But at the end of this episode, I really appreciated special guest star Jonathan Frakes as Captain William T. Riker, special guest star Marina Sirtis as Commander Deanna Troy. And I was mm-hmm. like, it's a small thing, but it was beautiful. I love that. And Marina Sirtis has more than earned that. Like she is between this and Picard and her appearance, Picard, she is killing it. Marina Sirtis mm-hmm. is absolutely wonderful. I'm glad she's finally getting her due after so many years of like kind of not being as appreciated by the show itself. If not, the fans have, I'm sure, always appreciated her, but uh, the show itself has not always done so. So I'm just glad that she's finally getting her due. Best dialogue of the episode, of an episode full of great dialogue, though, I have to say, is uh, when Ransom asks Deanna to introduce her, introduce him to her Betazoid friends. And Deanna says, Jack, I sense you exaggerate your confidence in order to mask an ocean of insecurity. And Ransom replies, Oh, will they sense that too? I can make that work for me. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. It's kind of like a weird pseudo dig at uh, at Riker too, because Ransom is so much like a, a heightened version of Riker at as he was in TNG. So it's like kind of weirdly commenting on her own relationship with Riker, which I kind of enjoyed. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, so yeah, at the end here, which we've kind of alluded to, Boimler gets offered a promotion to Lieutenant Junior Grade and a transfer to the Titan. And he eagerly takes it, uh, much to the consternation of Mariner. So yeah, what do we think about this uh, turn of events for the show? Well, he's not going to stay, right? I mean, we can't go into season two and Boimler's like on another ship through the whole season. He's got to come back at some point. Well, we'll talk about that because the New York Comic Con had some things to say did, about that. Yeah, but I, I mean, I think it's cool. to. I mean, this is what Boimler wants and has been wanting. So it was great to see that at the end of the season, he gets a promotion an advancement like this. And so it's a nice little cap to the season. So I'm happy for Boimler, but poor Mariner, she's missing him. (laughs) Yeah. And I, I liked how it showed how much Boimler has grown and not grown at the same time. Like he's grown because he, he actually legitimately earned that promotion. Like he, he spent the whole beginning of the season, like working really hard and like trying to earn it and be like, I'm going to be the perfect guy and get everything done. Um, and that's sort of the wrong way to go about getting the promotion. But finally, in this episode, there's just like one moment earlier on that we didn't mention where Mariner gets to take charge of the ship that um, Captain Freeman sort of hands off the command, and she starts giving orders, and Boimler just sits down and, and does his job and does the right thing and is like, I got this, I, I'm like actually doing uh, a good ensign job in the heat of the moment. And that's not something I would have seen Boimler being able to do towards the top of the season where he was just so nervous even being on the bridge. And so I feel like he did earn that promotion. He has grown. He has become a better Starfleet officer. 
But also it's shown that he's not grown at all because he abandoned Mariner, the very thing that he said he was upset about her doing to him earlier in the episode. So I, I, I like that it was both a step forward and a step backwards for him. And that's just such a really great place to take his character going forward. Yeah, definitely. This brings up uh, an email that we got from a listener, Rebecca Skipper, and uh, she makes a really interesting point here. She writes, okay, please clarify something if you don't mind. Isn't the Titan where the bad Ensign was transferred to? I'm referring to the one who decided to connect his brain to the computer and then lie about it so that he could impress Boimler and Mariner. So yeah, Ensign Fletcher uh, from Terminal Provocations. And I got that episode name right this time. So if so, why would Riker trust Ransom for his opinion? Because yeah, Riker says that Ransom says Boimler's one of his best officers and that's ultimately ultimately why he gives him the promotion. So I thought this was an interesting question and I, I had kind of my own answer to it, but then something came up in the live show last night that I think is really interesting that, uh, you know, I want to hear your guys' opinions and then kind of share my thoughts on, uh, on that. I don't, I, I didn't really even think about it. I mean, I did, I guess I did a little bit, but I, did, I haven't really thought about it in much detail. Um, I'm just guessing that Riker is one to see. I'm I'm really stretching. I'm making this up as I'm going along. Okay, Riker <laughs> looks at these up and coming officers as like he did Wesley. He's gonna take them under his arm. You know, Picard didn't want Wesley on the bridge, but Riker was kind of like supporting Wesley and wanting to help Wesley. So maybe he felt the same way about that other officer, and now he's feeling that way about Boimler. Like, he's not looking for perfection, but he's looking for officers that have potential. And maybe that's my stretch. I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> my only my only thought that I could think or add to that, because I, I, I could definitely see that, Bruce, would be um, because, as I alluded to, Riker and Ransom are so similar in, in who they are. Like, Ransom feels very much like a early TNG very heightened version of Riker. Obviously not as professional as Riker was in early TNG, but sort of a heightened version. So maybe Riker is more willing to trust Ransom's recommendation just because he's like, yeah, I trust this guy. He's very much like me. I can, I can, I, I get this. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I, I kind of agree with the both of you. That was my thinking was like, Riker will give someone a chance, but you know, if they can't cut it, they can't cut it and they're gone kind of thing. Uh, but Brandy Jackala brought up something interesting. We learn in this episode that Riker and Mariner have a close relationship. It's not just Riker and Freeman, it's Riker and Mariner. So her thinking was, what if in that episode, something we didn't see was that Mariner contacted Riker and say, hey, we have this total idiot. We need you to take him off our hands. And, uh, you know, he you know gives him the true scoop on on this guy and says you know my my senior officers don't see this they're not willing to you know whatever but i know you'll do the right thing kind of thing and you know give him a chance but he's probably going to screw up or something like that yeah i mean i could even see it like that riker and mariner are go off for a minute to go grab a drink at one point in the episode and i could even see it being like a subtle thing where like riker already had like a recommendation from ransom about boimler and Mariner mentions to Riker at some point, he's like, oh, yeah, I worked with Boimler. Boimler's a really cool guy. Like, I think he's just really nice. He's, you know, he's a bit rough or whatever. But, you know, I love him. And I think he's, he's well on his way to being a good Starfield officer. And that sort of, like, clicks in Riker's brain of, like, oh, okay, well, maybe uh, maybe I do want to get this guy on my ship if he's, uh, if he's showing promise sort of thing. That makes sense, too. I like that. Yeah. Yeah, the only holdback I have on that theory, which I like, is that, you know, it's just Mariner, why is she calling Boimler and, and like, 
complaining that he went unless that's just her covering up so she, he doesn't suspect that maybe she did something. I mean, I feel like I feel like it might if it was like a subtle thing where she just says like, oh, I like Boimler. He's a cool guy. Then I feel like it still is in line with it rather than it being mm-hmm. like a full fledged like, oh, you should transfer him to your ship. Because, yeah, I do yeah. think she is legitimately hurt at the end there. Yeah, yeah. Just like, oh, she actually likes this guy and respects him. Hmm, maybe I'll snag him for my ship kind of thing. Not her saying, like, you should take yeah, him. It's, she's yeah, she's not recommending. It just comes up in conversation. So so tell me, Mariner, about this boy. I'm like, oh, he's a great guy. Yeah, blah, 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 blah. Not knowing that he's, like, seeking him out to join the ship. And she's like, dang, I shouldn't have said anything. Or maybe she's glad she did. But she's still sorry to see him go. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, like mm-hmm. there might that might even feed into why she's so upset because she would be like, "Oh, I I kind of was the one who to gave that push. I'm kind of angry at myself a little bit for for causing me to lose him, this friend that I had finally made." So, well, final thoughts on this episode, I guess, before we talk about some of the stuff that we want to see with season two and some of the stuff that was said in the New York Comic Con uh, wrap up talking about season two bruce final thoughts maybe a rating of some kind oh my a rating well i really love this episode uh i've loved the last few episodes i mean i've liked all the episodes but the last few really just just feel like they're just like outdoing the other in a lot of ways and just keep getting better and better but i mean just some little things i wanted to call out on that we didn't cover just real quick you know ransom makes a comment when they're being attacked saying that the ship is carving them up like a first day uh, first contact day salmon and my thought was yep. are we <laughs> as trek fans going to start eating salmon every first contact day is that the intent of that line oh i'm more, i've already ordered my salmon it's it's coming <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm I'm definitely willing to institute that as a tradi- as a tradition for sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I we need to remember that for next year, next first contact day, we need to all just get a salmon and take some pictures. That would be wonderful. <laughs> oh, it's great. I love yeah. it. Yeah, <laughs> and I mean, I love this whole episode. My the the part where I laughed the loudest and really enjoyed was that last scene with Riker and Troy on the bridge and the jazz and the and uh, the holodeck from the Enterprise Archer and those guys, you know, what a story. <laughs> it's just like, I just thought that was hilarious. Oh, and then the Spock helmet with the little yes. light yep. thing on top. Love seeing that little cameo there. So I would say I would give this show 10 pair of shoes taken off the bridge of the new Solvang 10 out of 10 of shoes. What am I trying to say? 10 pairs of shoes out, 10 <laughs> pairs of shoes. <laughs> Love it. <laughs> uh, oh my gosh. Um, I I will entirely agree. Uh, just quick things that I'll just briefly mention before we wrap out um because we didn't talk much about peanut hamper but i did love mm. peanut hamper and i just loved and this is something i also want to reference tendy's just so earnest kindness and excitement every single time like when you think she's going to be jealous about peanut hamper being better than her about something but then she's just like no oh my gosh that i'm the best ever like i like she's integrating so well i'm just so proud of her and i, I just love that earnestness and then when we learn that rutherford lost his memory and I was like, literally when that scene happened, I was like, oh, I was literally about ready to tear up yeah. at that moment. But then she's like, no, this is just another chance for us to be friends. We get to learn all over again. And I'm like, <laughs> I, I, that actually made me cry because that's like, it's so sweet and genuine and so very Star Trek that I just, it, it was just like, 
no, this isn't a sad moment. This is just another chance for us to to get to know each other and and meet and 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 form a whole new relationship and her excitement at that. And that just like there's nothing more Star Trek than that to me to just have the excitement at getting to know somebody again. So I just I found that so sweet and it made me tear up. I'm even tearing up kind of talking about it. And then the very last thing that I'll mention is just I just love the fact that they reference these are the voyages. Like, you both know I'm a huge <laughs> Star Trek Enterprise nerd, so anything, any crumbs that I get from Star Trek Enterprise, I am so happy. And the very fact that they reference the most derided episode, I am so, I am so overjoyed of the fact that just Riker apparently just goes and hangs with the Archer gang all the time now. So, very <laughs> pleased with that. So, I will give it 10, 10 trips to a an Enterprise episode hologram out of 10. <laughs> Wow. Do you think when Riker is with Archer and the gang that he's still playing chef and still making yeah, meals? Yeah. I just imagine like he would like go to like classic episodes like uh like uh and the Andorian incident, but he's still playing chef. So he's just like in with all the Andorians and Vulcans while Archer's being taken prisoner, he's just like there as chef. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm gonna echo a lot of what the two of you have said as well. I, I loved this episode. It's surprisingly kind of to me not my favorite episode of the season which is still last week's crisis point i love 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 that episode but this was an incredible episode so great to see all of the callbacks like basically everything they couldn't get in the rest of the season i think they crammed into this episode but it's all for a purpose like none none of it seems to be really superfluous there is a story they're trying to tell and a message they're trying to get across and i really appreciate that incredible episode great to see marina Sirtis and jonathan frakes back as well of course so i think i have to give this episode two out of two enterprises fighting the packlets so <laughs> another <laughs> enterprise <laughs> <laughs> there's a packlet party and i wasn't invited yeah. <laughs> oh god love the alliteration <laughs> Well, I wanted to close up by talking a little bit about the New York Comic Con uh, stuff that came out about Lower Decks Season 2 specifically. Normally we would talk about this in our flagship show, but we're trying to keep that Lower Decks spoiler free because there's so many people who listen who don't watch Lower Decks, who aren't able because they're overseas and that kind of thing. Uh, so fairly briefly talk about this. The one part I really want to focus on is... You know, with some of the revelations at the end of the season with Boimler off on the Titan, what does that mean for season two? And I previously speculated there's kind of a few different ways it could go. Either A, Boimler's not really on the show very much anymore and he's kind of off doing his own thing, may pop in from time to time, but he's effectively not a main character on the show anymore. B, it could be that he finds himself very quickly back on the Cerritos somehow through some wild shenanigans or see the episode the series becomes kind of a two-ship show and we follow you know these two different crews because there's nothing in the title lower decks that says cerritos right it could be just the ongoing story of these characters and interestingly uh mike mcmahon made some comments uh and specifically uh, revealing where season two will pick up. And I kind of read into this and note that he's saying where it'll pick up. 
and not where it will continue. So, you know, who knows? But he says, Boimler's on the Titan. We don't undo that. We start the season and Boimler's on the Titan. You'll be seeing Riker again at the beginning of next season for sure. So of note there, of course, he says the beginning of next season. So it does feel like something might happen there. What do the two of you think? I think that Boimler at some point, maybe not on the first episode of the second season, but at some point will transfer back to the Cerritos and he's got this lieutenant promotion and he's a slightly different Boimler. And so his relationship with Mariner may be a little different because he does now outrank her and he's got this experience on the Titan and we'll see his character grow. But, you know, the core of the show will stay on the lower decks characters. But I do think that, yeah, we'll see him somehow transfer back. Yeah, I I think it would be interesting to have a two ship show, but I think I agree with both of you that we'll get at least one episode, maybe two or three if we're, if we're lucky with Boimler on the Titan. But eventually, um, towards the beginning of next season, my bet is he will transfer back. And I think the real question will be like, will he be still a lieutenant or will he be he kicked back down because he screws something up again <laughs> and kind of pull, go the Mariner route? Um, we also know that there's that opening for security officer. So maybe Boimler or Mariner uh, or even someone else gets put in that role for a little bit. That would be interesting to see for sure. Different dynamic. The other thing that I really liked, of course, was Jonathan Frakes as Riker and how over the top he was. And they reflect on that a little bit. Uh, Jonathan Frakes says, when I go to go into the studio, Mike encouraged me to do what I always wanted to do for 35 years, which was let Riker be a wild, insane character. You know who I am. Riker is a lot more serious. So this has been a blast. And I love that. You're just like, you're letting Riker off the leash, basically, is how I think of it. I love it. Yeah, that goes back to my point about John Delancey, where I thought he didn't play it high enough for the animated series where I felt like Jonathan Frakes did. It's like, you got to take it another level up. And I didn't feel like Marina Sirtis did that. I, I thought she played it at her somewhat regular level, but I thought Jonathan Frakes really played it at the level to make it work for this series because the acting in this is over the top. And that's not in a negative way. It's not saying that these actors aren't good at their acting. I'm just saying that's, that's the style of the show. It's animated. It's a little over the top. So you want to, bring the energy level up higher than you normally would see in a live action show. It's very much like he was playing the Jonathan Frakes version of Riker, yes. not the like <laughs> Riker. He was like being himself like channeled through Riker, which I I really kind of found to be a lot of fun. The other thing too you just made me think about just randomly was um because we know Picard's like a show that's on the horizon in the timeline. I'm like, do they have uh their their first son at this point in the series? I don't know exactly when the timeline works out, mm. but I was thinking about that. Yeah. That's a good question. Yeah, I'm not sure where that would shake out exactly. Well, I wondered that when they were going to whatever plan, I can't remember the name, where there's like a, another Riza, and I thought, is that where they create their son? <laughs> I really did think that. <laughs> could be, could be. Could be, yeah. This is, we see the conception. <laughs> <laughs> and that's why Boimler transfers back to the Cerritos. You don't want to see what I saw. <laughs> yeah, he like steps into the room and has the same reaction he did at the top of the episode. I love it. Well, unfortunately, this is our final episode for a while of the Lower Decks Review Show. But next week, it will magically morph into the Star Trek Discovery review show with the launch of season three of that show. We'll be back talking about that next week. But in the meantime, thank you all so much for listening. Really appreciate you joining us. 
Uh, I've been Dan Gunther, and you can find me at Kurtrats on Twitter. That's K-E-R-T-R-A-T-S. You can find the show at Positively Trek on Twitter and search for the Positively Trek discussion group on Facebook. Uh, just go to facebook.com, search for Positively Trek. We'll let you write in. And Jesse, where can people find you online? We're going to ask you to stick around for the next episode. We're going to dig down and find out what makes you the Trekkie you are today. But for those of our listeners who may not be listening to that show, where can they find you? Um, well, you can find me at Jesse Gender, um, both basically on pretty much everything, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Um, but the main thing that I do is YouTube, where I put out videos at least once a week, sometimes two or three times a week. So yeah, just look up Jesse Gender on YouTube and you will find me there. Awesome. And Bruce, where can people find you? You can find me right here. And if I'm not here, you can find me on Twitter at Admiral underscore Rex and occasionally on the Star Wars Report podcast. Excellent. Well, it's been a really terrific season of Lower Decks. Looking forward to great things from the show in the future. But now we've got Discovery on the horizon, so we're really looking forward to that. And until we can sit down and talk about that, everyone out there, stay positive. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.